1059 The Region, in partnership with REMAX Prime Properties, present On the Market, real estate advice that works for you. Have a real estate question? Call us at 416-335-1059. Tweet us at 1059 The Region or email us at info at 1059theregion.com. This is 105.9 The Region. I'm Tina Cortez with On The Market, York Region's exclusive radio real estate show. According to the Toronto Real Estate Board, sales are down and prices are up. The story from Don Kelly. The Toronto Regional Real Estate Board reports sales were down 12.1% from August, with the biggest declines coming in sales of semi-detached houses and townhouses. It attributes the downward trend to the impact of high borrowing costs, high inflation, uncertainty surrounding future Bank of Canada decisions, and slower economic growth. The average home price was up 3% from a year ago to more than $1.1 million. Don Kelly, the Canadian Press, Toronto. Our expert from Remax Prime Properties is Asif Khan with the breakdown. Good morning, Asif. Good morning, Tina. Now, your team is on the ground. Would you come to the same conclusions? I would. Sales are down and definitely we're, we're seeing the effects of the, the the higher borrowing costs and people just being nervous and sitting on the fence. So although demand is still pretty strong out there, the sales haven't materialized because of the uncertainty and the lack of consumer confidence. Uh, you know, when anytime we have a rate hold, that confidence seems to come back and then we get hit with a rate hike and that takes away from consumer confidence again. But prices continue to climb. So for those people that are thinking they're going to wait this out and maybe get a deal, that's not happening out there. And, you know, I was looking back over the last 10 or 15 years in terms of sales and the appreciation in 2022 over 2021, we were up 8.6%. In 2021, we were up 17.8%. In 2020, we were up 13.4%. In 2019, we were still up 4%. In 2018, we had a bit of a dip. Uh, If you remember 2017, there was a lot of legislation introduced that uh, cooled the market and we were down 4.2%. But then you go back uh, over the the previous 7, 8, 10 years and you're up every year. On average, it would work out to probably 8% or so, which is a healthy increase. The the 17, 13% increases, the 15% increases, those aren't healthy and they're not sustainable. But when you get back into the 6 to 8% range, that's a healthy increase and and that's healthy appreciation and that's good for the market. And we're going to probably end up at about 2 or 3% higher this year than we were last year. So it shows you the demand that's out there is fueling this market. At the end of the day, Tina, we need more inventory for there to be any type of price relief. And we need to make it easier for purchasers to get into their homes, especially first-time homebuyers. Well, Asif, perhaps our first guest will comment. Tina, I am sure he will. Our next guest is Tim Hudak, CEO of the Ontario Real Estate Association. Tim, welcome back to On the Market. Oh, Asif, thanks for having me back on. Tim, I, I know you've been swamped with so much going on in the industry, but something making the rounds over the last few days has been the first time home savings account. Tell us a little bit about what's happening with that and uh, you know how Aurea is helping. Yeah, thank you for asking. So this is an initiative that was brought in uh, under the Trudeau government. It's something that our National Association, Korea, had lobbied for. We supported to help people save for their first time 
purchasing a home. So here's how it works, Asset. You know how the RRSP, think of it's like an RRSP where you can put money into the savings account and get tax deductions. And then you can invest in a GIC or stocks or bonds or whatever. And the interest grows without paying taxes. And then you can take it all out at the end and tax-free as long as you put it towards buying your first home. So that can be a powerful vehicle to help people invest in the first home without taxes. And it's a great initiative by the Trudeau government. It's a great initiative. It sounds like for first-time home buyers, Tim. But what about students who are struggling with, you know, student loans, or maybe recent graduates who are having that issue as well? They're carrying that student loan debt, but also want to get into the housing market. Yeah, for sure, Tina. I mean, we um, we're very concerned, and I know you are as well on the market that the Canadian dream is slipping away from more and more people, and we found particularly uh, those that have student debt are having greater difficulty getting into the market, and understandably so. So here's what we did. We said, okay, let's actually study this problem. Let's, let's get the facts, put them on the table, and then offer some solutions. So we surveyed 1,500 people 25 through 42 who are recent graduates of post-secondary education in Ontario. We asked them how much debt they had, we asked them where they were in life, and how much it was an obstacle to getting a home. And the, um, the information, Tina was pretty eye-popping in terms of what a major barrier this currently is. And Tim, I know having a, a recent grad in, in my house, my daughter just graduated, and it takes them a while to get their, you know, establish and, and get their uh, first job and things like that. So uh, I know that you're trying to work with the government to uh, initiate a grace period. Tell our listeners a little bit about that. Yeah, you bet. So we, we really want to find ways to turn that student debt into home equity, into a home. And we all know, that's if you know this for your businesses, when somebody buys a home, right, that has a big impact on the economy. They're likely going to do a renovation. They're going to buy new furniture, dishwasher, fridge, all of that stuff. So it has big spin-offs. So how can we get some of that activity going and help our students at the same time? So there's a couple of ideas. I'll, I'll deal with your question after, then I'll get back to that first time home buyer's savings account, what we've suggested to do to help students relieve some of that debt, and by the way, 53% of those surveyed did have student debt, and the average was $19,000. So we said, how about this? The provincial government should relieve the interest on those student loans, and that's what the federal government started doing back in April. So now you pay back the principal, but taking off that interest can help them put more money towards just the cost of living, but more importantly, start saving up to buy a home and become a homeowner. That's great news. And so if we're talking about uh, a $19,000 loan, the interest on that for a student that doesn't have a job is going to be quite significant. So would that be waived for a a certain period or is it um, going to be only if they contribute to an FHSA? So we see those as separate issues, and thank you for bringing it uh, back to that. So, you know, first of all, the student uh, debt interest relief, especially when we've got a cost of living crisis, will help them put more money towards a home and just paying the bills. You, you nailed it, So When you get out of university or college, often you're starting to work your way up the ladder. Your income is more modest. So this gives them a chance to, to catch their breath and start climbing up the ladder. Now, let me talk about the first-time uh, homebuyer savings account. So this is a new program, and it's going to have a lot of potential 
But if you're in student debt, it's hard to find money to contribute to that savings account. So we're suggesting for the provincial and federal governments, if a student, say your daughter asks if we're to put $5,000 in that first-time home savers account, they would get simultaneously $5,000 relieved from their student debt. That would be a really powerful tool to take money from debt and put it towards equity in your first home. These sound like really positive ideas for this next generation of homeowners. Is it going to happen, Tim? What are your thoughts on that? Well, I have faith that if we use our skills at ARIA in advocacy, we get our realtor members talking to their MPs and their MPPs, and we're doing that this this November, as a matter of fact, at the end of November, uh, and also just listeners that shows like on the market, we can do so. I have no doubt that whatever political party our members of parliament or provincial parliament come from, housing affordability is top of mind. And I think they've got a lot of sympathy for students as well who are trying to pay down their debt at the same time. So we've identified this issue, and if people want to see, they can go to aria.com, O-R-E-A.com, to see the study in its full. But we want to put bold ideas on the table to help move students out of debt and into their first home. They're pretty gutsy. They've not been tried before, but I think these will make a probably the most powerful impact on putting those keys to your first home into the hands of our recent graduates. And Tim, you've talked about affordability, but what about inventory? There is a lack of housing out there. Yeah, that, that's absolutely true. So we really do need to proceed on on two tracks. And the number one point of focus remains getting more homes built that people can afford. We've had some success in Rio on this. The, the Ford government, to the credit, has brought through a, a significant number of different pieces of legislation to speed up the approval process, to knock down the fees involved with the home, to hold municipalities, municipalities accountable to goals and reward those who hit those housing goals, to stand up against NIMBY forces that slow down projects and drive them away. There's been progress made there. In fact, 2021 and 2022 had the most homes built in the last 30 years. But we've got to keep our foot on the accelerator. Pete and Asif, we've got to keep going on that front because we've got a lot of catching up to do. Job number one, getting more homes built people can afford. But job number two is when those homes get built, you've got to give an opportunity to young people who don't come from wealthy backgrounds, who may have student debt, they may come from modest means, give them a fair shot at getting one of those homes. And Tim, it's going to take uh, everyone working together to, to make that happen. One of the recommendations was for the government of Ontario to partner with the National Student Loan Service Centre. Tell us a little bit about that and how that would help. Yeah, thanks, Asif. Again, people can see all of our ideas at orea.com on how to help students get out of debt and into a home. But this will really help by giving them you know, proper uh, channels uh, to focus their finances. So the National Student Loan Service Center, that helps students who are in debt manage their finances to plan for it and to make sure that the repayment reflects a current level of income. You make more money, you can pay more down. But if you're just starting out, right, uh, uh, some strategies to cope with that debt and move forward. So the government of Ontario can partner uh, with the National Student Loan Service to ensure that the debt payments students are making actually reflect their income and not something that a bureaucrat imagined in Ottawa. And Tim, just before we let you go, we're hoping to get your comment on our top story today. And that was from the Toronto Real Estate Board that they suggest that sales are down and prices are up. Where do we go from here? 
only answer is build more homes. It, mm. It's true. The affordability crisis is getting deeper each day, and it, it drives me crazy when people say, oh, the market's slow. That's going to be good. People get into homes. Uh-uh. It's actually the opposite. There's less inventory, higher prices, and higher carrying costs when it comes to getting a mortgage. So those that were falling behind are slipping even further behind with a deeper affordability crisis. The best solution, just get those homes built. Intensify around our transit lines and build more houses or on top of GO stations, for example. Where there's underdeveloped land that's not environmentally sensitive, allow the water and sewer to build more homes that middle-class families can afford. Government is the biggest landlord in Canada. So how about using some underutilized or vacant government space and build homes there targeted for first-time buyers. The solutions are there. We just need the political will to get them done. Tim, always great insights and great conversation. Thanks so much for joining on the market. If our listeners want to review the article about the first-time home buyer program that uh, Aria is backing, where can they find that again? You bet. The full study of 1,500 uh, recent graduates and 1,500 of their parents on top of that can be found at orea.com, O-R-E-A.com, as well as our solutions to help more young people find a great place to call home. Tim, thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Keep up the great work. Thanks, Tim. After the break, the how-tos for first-time buyers. This is On the Market on 105.9 The Region. Stay with us. Need to connect with Asif Khan from Remax Prime Properties? Call him, 416-985-Khan. That's 416-985-5426. Or email asif at thehomeshop.ca. Now, back to On the Market on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to On the Market, York Region's radio real estate show. Over to my co-host and our real estate expert, Asif Khan, from Remax Prime Properties with today's next guest, Asif. Thank you, Tina. Joining us next is Kyle Young, realtor at Remax Prime Properties, Unique Group in Toronto. Kyle, welcome to On the Market. Thanks for having me. Kyle, our first guest, uh, Tim Hudak, CEO of the Interior Real Estate Association, was telling us a little bit about initiatives that they're starting to help first-time home buyers get into home ownership. Tell us a little bit about what you're finding, because you deal a lot with first-time home buyers. That's correct. So there's five you know, first-time homebuyer programs in Ontario for first-time homebuyers. And the first-time homebuyer incentive is one of those five, but for some reason, it hasn't had received the love that the other five programs have had. And what I'm finding is actually there's a lot of misconceptions about the program, and I'm telling now with the first-time homebuyers that it is actually a worthwhile program to pursue. So what are some of the misconceptions? What don't we know about it? Obviously... There's a lot of misconceptions about the fact that the government owns 5% of your home Mm -hmm. and at the time of sale, you're going to have to give back all the gains that you've earned. But what people fail to comprehend is that you're only paying 95% of your home and therefore when you sell, you're only getting 95% of the proceeds. So that kind of makes sense. And this is why the program, when they're giving you an incentive, aka a loan, it's interest-free, but they are taking appreciation prorated to the sale of your home. So you've probably piqued a lot of our listeners' interest by saying, hey, wait, the government's giving me a loan. Tell us a little bit about that program itself. Yeah, so the the program is restrictive in terms of there are requirements for 
income and you still, and I just want to make this clear, it's not a magic bullet program. You still have to qualify with your mortgage lender and obviously you have to pass the stress test, the GDS and TDS tests. So what this program really helps you do is have a bit more comfortable or you know, be more comfortable with your mortgage payments when it reduces the mortgage payments and also maybe even affords you the opportunity to upgrade your home because of the fact you're going to have more down payment and therefore afford maybe a slightly nicer home um, to, to suit your lifestyle. Kyle, you said something there. You said be more comfortable with your mortgage. What do you mean by that? So the first time home buyer incentive is really an additional down payment that you can make um, on your home. So it can be in the form of 5% or it can be 10% in the case of a new per, uh, new construction home. So let's take a 5% example and the government's giving you 5% down payment on your home. Now, obviously your mortgage will be lower because you've now put, let's say you've gone from 14%, now you put 19% down payment on your home. Therefore, your total mortgage is lower, your lo- mortgage payments are therefore lower. And so on a monthly basis, you're saving more cash flow because your mortgage payments are now lower. Okay. And this will help a lot of first-time home buyers that are, you know, either they have the income, but they don't quite have the amount saved up in their down payment. So now that you have a larger down payment, there's a bit more cash flow, uh, less cash flow risk, I should say, because there's less monthly payments. All right. So this makes a lot of sense to me. And, and I've got a few years on you, Kyle, but this does not sound like that thing I'm hearing about on TikTok, girl math and boy math. This is about just making common sense decisions about your mortgage, your first time purchase. Exactly. I mean, so one of the reasons why it's been shunned is because interest rates were currently, when the program was announced in 2019, the interest rates were closer to 1% to 3%. Yes. But now, you know, we're seeing a lot of people getting mortgages closer to 6% or, mm-hmm. or even higher. So as a result, any amount of money that you save at a 6% mortgage is more and more savings. And then, um, yeah. And, and so my first question is going to be to Tina. Tina, you're on TikTok? No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Kyle, are there restrictions with this program uh, as to where they can buy a home or how much uh, they can spend on a home? Yeah. So in 2022, the government changed the program. So they increased the income requirements for three metropolitan areas, Toronto, Vancouver, and Victoria. And so this is another common misconception. When people think of Toronto, they think like I do. They think that means south of steals. Mm-hmm. But the first-time homebuyer incentive actually uses the definition that StatsCan uses. And that area of Toronto is much larger than what you thought. So that's roughly west of Oshawa, east of Burlington, and south of Lake Simcoe. Wow. So that includes you know, certain places like, let's say, Orangeville. And so when people tell me, like, oh, the first-time homebuyer incentive, you can only afford a home 700000 yeah, so in, in Toronto proper, maybe that only affords your condo. But out in Orangeville, a $700,000 home might afford you, you know, three bedroom, two washroom, enough to raise a family. Yeah, that's a really good point, especially because, and Asif, I'll direct this to you. Christopher Alexander said recently, the cost of living is out of control in larger centers, and even the most affordable housing now carries a pretty substantial sticker price. So I think the suggestion here seems to be Think outside of the traditional Toronto box, right? Yeah, and we've always said drive till you qualify. Mm -hmm. And it's not uh, just a Toronto issue because even if you think uh, down south in in New York, there's a lot of people that can't afford to be in New York. They work in New York. They can't afford to live in New York. So they're living in New Jersey or they're living in Philadelphia and they're commuting. So this is very similar to that, right, Kyle? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. 
So, so Kyle, with that said, uh, if people are moving into the Orangevilles or, uh, you know, even, even to go a little bit further and, and really test those boundaries, what are they able to purchase if $700,000 is the max? I mean, obviously my focus is primarily in Toronto, but out in Orangeville, I, I know a lot of people complain about the first-time homebuyer incentives, saying that, like, oh, with this money, I can't afford anything. But I think, exactly as you said, if you just expand your mind about where you can live and I'm not necessarily saying that Orangeville is the place to be and we should all buy it's a great place I'm just saying that if for first time home buyers and for first time home buyers what I'm trying to say is that your location may not be ideal you may not be able to afford the Rosedales the Forest Hills not for your first purchase what I suggest if you want to get into the real estate market you may have to consider a little bit further than what you would have liked but you could afford a home and be your first starter home and with this program you're able to afford it much sooner than you thought. It's a stepping stone. Yeah, for sure. And it sounds like what your advice is, Kyle, is get into the market any which way you can, get that foot in the door. And exactly. And, and I, my, my session is to not discount any programs. This is one of five programs available for first-time home buyers. You might as well consider it. It's only one of five. And Kyle, when you're talking to first-time home buyers, how is this received? Because a lot of people don't do the research. They know there's programs out there, but they don't do the research to see what the program will allow them. How are you having those conversations with people and, and how does it help them? And th this is partly why I came on this radio show today. It's because it is a complicated calculation. There are, and what I'm from the accounting world, so what we use is called a T-chart where you have to organize the pros and the cons to this program. Mm. The same way when you do this calculation, you'll find that, okay, say pro, you might save on your mortgage payments, but cons, you, when you sell your home, you may have to give some equity back. So what I'm telling first-time homebuyers is you have to run this program for your scenario and see if it will fit with your beliefs, with your your plans, and see if it makes sense for you. That's all I'm trying to say. I took accounting and debits and credits have to balance, right? Kyle, <laughs> <laughs> so, if our, our listeners that are first-time homebuyers or, or even investors want to contact you to learn more about this program, how can they get you? Yeah, they can visit my website, kylelung.ca, or follow me on Instagram, the Kyle Lung. The Kyle Lung. Kyle, thanks for coming out on the market. Thanks for having me. And are you on TikTok? Uh, no, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Good to hear. When we come back, your real estate questions. This is On the Market on 105.9 The Region. Stay with us. Need to connect with Asif Khan from Remax Prime Properties? Call him, 416-985-Khan. That's 416-985-5426. Or email asif at thehomeshop.ca. Now, back to On the Market on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to On The Market. Your questions for Asif Khan are next. And Sandra from King wants to know if now is the time to invest in real estate, especially if the cost of borrowing continues to go up. Asif, what do you have to say? That's a, a really good question, Sandra. And it's something that we've been getting a lot lately, especially with the rates going up and the cost of borrowing going up. And it's, it's a bit of a loaded question because there are good investments at this time and there's bad investments at this time. And the reason I say that is a lot of people 
go to pre-construction condos when uh, they're looking at investments. And what you need to factor in right now is what your mortgage rate will be and what you're paying for this condo. Because at the end of the day, it's going to come down to dollars and cents. And if it's just strictly an investment, then you want to make sure that your costs are going to be covered or or very close to being covered through rental payments. And, And we have to anticipate what the rents would be at that time of completion as well. Now, if you flip that over and if you're looking to purchase a house that you want to live in, that's a longer term solution. And so with prices continuing to climb for a resale, it is a good time to invest right now. So it really depends on what your investment is going to be and and the reason for it. But if it's to live in, I would say, yes, this is a great time. But if it's an investment, we have to do some more homework. So it sounds like part of Sandra's homework then would be to have the conversation with an expert like you. That's right. Yeah, we would want to know how long you want to stay in for. If it's uh, something that you want to flip right away or in a couple of years, then the cost of borrowing may uh, be offset by the appreciation that you're going to see. So we really need to sit down and have that conversation and figure out what your end game is if it's strictly for investment. Okay, so before we get to the next question, I want to give you this headline. A major Canadian office landlord says about 30% of downtown Toronto buildings are obsolete as tenants reduce their office space due to more remote work. So here's our next question. Robert from Thornhill is interested in your take on the commercial real estate market. Is owning this type of property no longer a valuable investment? Uh, Again, Robert, a good question, but I'm going to kind of have the same type of answer for you in that it really depends on what type of ownership this is. If it's a plaza or anything like that, then you're going to have pretty solid tenants. If they have anchor tenants already, that's great. But if it's a, a commercial condo unit, and you're looking around in the complex and there's a lot of vacancy, then you're not going to get the same out of it if you want to sell it. And there may be a lot of different choices that renters have as well. So it has to be the right type of property for you to go into. And again, we'd have to have the conversation of what you're looking for and what the end game is there as well in order for us to point you in the right direction. And we've heard this idea bandied about quite a bit where why don't they just convert this commercial real estate into housing? Not so easy, right? If it's a a condo type of commercial uh, building, then it's uh, pretty hard to get everyone on board and someone's going to have to buy that entire property to do it. But we are seeing some of the older buildings that were abandoned or, uh, you know, most of them were vacant. We're seeing them converted to residential. And that's really going to help, especially if uh, there's a lot more opportunity for renters there as well, because there's a huge shortage for rental properties. As a reminder, if you have questions for On the Market, hit send anytime to info at 1059theregion.com. But Asif, if our listeners prefer to contact you directly, how can they do that? They can always email me at asif at thehomeshop.ca. That's easy. If you missed any part of our show, go to 1059theregion.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. I'm Tina Cortez. Thank you for listening. Need to connect with Asif Khan from REMAX Prime Properties? Call him, 416-985-Khan. That's 416-985-5426. Or email asif at thehomeshop.ca.